As Andres already uh, said in his uh, introduction, we're continuing our studies in the book of uh, Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, and my portion for this morning is uh, two-thirds, maybe, of chapter 10 of First Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, uh, reading from verses 1 to verse 22. Yeah. Don't we miss those two? Thanks, Jim. So I'm going to read from my Bible, from the Word of God, and this is the Word of this is the Word of God, and um, we all ought to pay attention. Moreover, brethren, I would not have ye, I would not have that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not, was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not last after evil things, as they also last, lasted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither mama ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happened unto them for ensamples, for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to, ma to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the blood of, of the body of Christ? For we being made, we being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakes, partakers of the altar. What say I then, that the idol is anything? or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
On that note, we pray that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we are here this morning, Lord, at this place. We covet, O oh Lord, the presence of your spirit to help us, O oh Lord, on these things that are very important and most precious unto us. Asking all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, one of the things, if you are a student of scripture, that to always bear in mind when you open scripture is context. By and large, if we, in Christendom, perhaps we had such an approach, we would save, Christendom would be saved uh, from a lot of misinterpretation or misuse of Bible scripture. So we would also remember that these are real letters that were written by a real apostle to real people to deal with real circumstances. So these are not Harry Potter writings, right, where we can pick excerpts that excite us and leave things that do not excite us. These are coherent writings inspired by the Spirit of God to communicate to the people of God. God is not a God of confusion. That's one thing that goes without saying. So whenever we read scripture, sometimes, even myself, when I read scripture, sometimes we're like, where is that coming from? The problem is not what is written. The problem is me, the reader of it. How am I understanding what scripture is saying to me? And what seems to be haphazard is not because scripture is haphazard. It's because my understanding is haphazard. So we need the Lord's help. We always need the Lord's spirit to help us whenever we open the word of God. And I don't know what your attitude is when you're at home, when you open the word of God. But sometimes I realize myself when I've like read, it, read two, three, five verses into life, then I realize that, you know, just you need to pray first. Because the things that you have actually written here, they are flying over your head because you are still not switched on to the things that are spiritual that God wants to communicate to you. That is why, how I think we should look at scripture. So to try and understand this, we would remember that, yes, wise men, and I'm sure God-inspired men, they broke up uh, uh, a scripture into chapters and verses to help us to maneuver so that we can find our way around. But let us, lose, let us not lose sight of the fact that these were continuous writings. So to try and understand the things that are being dealt with in the passages that we have read, I'm going to steal a little bit what the brother said last week um, from chapter 9, the last verses that he read in chapter 9. Uh, reading from verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fighting I not as one that beateth the air. But this is the verses that I'm interested in. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. One thing that scripture sometimes is easier to understand when you start with the obvious. Right? So one thing that we know about the apostle is that he is the apostle of the Lord. He's a child of God. So one thing that scripture cannot mean about this, about the apostle, is that he will not be unsaved. So we can say that and take that off the list. So when he talks about the castaway, being a castaway, our brother Sid explained very well that God can take away our usefulness for his purpose. This is not talking about salvation. 
So this is talking about God, how God uses us for his purposes. By the way, we are all dispensable. Uh, our prime minister learned it very difficult, uh, very, in a very hard way um, uh, last week, but enough about that. Let's talk about the things of God. So the apostle, even he himself, acknowledges that as much as he has been given this authority, we all have to work within the confines of the rules of God. It's not a free-for-all, do what you like, whatever comes in your mind in the house of God and in the things of God. Yes, we have liberty in Christ, but our liberty does not dictate to us to do things that are contrary to what God expects of us. So to that end, we are confined by the rules of the Lord. After all, it's his house. It's not your house or my house. And if we break the rules, we risk being rendered useless for the things of God. So here, this is where verse 10 takes over from that thought. Don't lose that thought in your mind. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all the fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Let's try and break that a little bit. Now, one thing that we should acknowledge is that the Apostle Paul is talking to believers. So, the things we are going to look at here, they are to believers. So, to that end... Let's try and understand what the apostle is talking about when he invokes the experience of the Jews in the wilderness. So, what he says here is that concerning the things that he has already spoken of, him being operating under the rules of God for the usefulness of God, otherwise if he breaks the rules, he will be thrown aside and somebody will be, the Lord will pick up somebody else. Then he goes on to say, therefore, bearing that in mind, remember the experience of Israel in the wilderness. He then uses very flowery language here to say that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What is he talking about? What he's saying here is that remember Israel who had sown allegiance to Moses. You would remember they acknowledged him as their leader. He was their leader. So that way they were baptized unto Moses and in the cloud with God leading them and through the sea the experience that they had with him. So Israel had all this experience with Moses, they tasted, they were partaker, they sort of fellowshiped with Moses. They were all part of the experience that Moses went through with them and him, Moses, as their leader. But they did eat all of the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. 
Not only did these people acknowledge the leadership of Moses and fellowshiped with Moses and experienced God with Moses and went through some miraculous experiences with God doing miracles amongst them, testing all these things with Moses, but God was not pleased with some of them. Not all of them, but with some of them. Why? Now these things are written for our examples. Even though these people had all these experiences, God was not pleased with them. They had the fellowship with Moses, but God in the end was not pleased with them. This is for us. Now, this is not for non-believers. This is for us. Remember, he has just told us in chapter 9 that he can be made a castaway. This is the guiding teaching here that is continuing. So he is saying, listen, those experiences, there are other passages in scripture which talk about salvation. We talk about those that are saved and those that are saved, that are not saved. For example, Romans chapter 9. Not all Israel is of Israel. Right? So, what does it say there? He said, yes, it is possible to be a, physic, a physical Jew, but it doesn't mean that you are saved. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you are a child of God. So, that one is a distinction between those that are saved and those that are not saved. So, salvation is not because you are a physical Jew. It is possible to be a physical Jew, but it is possible that you are not saved. So, he also uses the example of Abraham. That you can be a child of Abraham physically, but spiritually, in terms of things of salvation, you are not a child of Abraham. But this is not what he's talking about here. The issues that we're going to talk about is how God will deal with us in his house, as his people. So he says here, though he uses the example of the destruction of those that scripture teaches us elsewhere, that they were not mixed with faith that they did not have in them, he is going to use that example of God's action amongst his own people to take particularly the subject of discipline that God can step in and discipline a person. We are going to see that later on. And discipline a person and disqualify them. He can step in if we stray from the bounds of God and can trim us, he can do that. So God was not happy with them. Why? Because they lasted after evil things. There is the warning. They lasted after evil things. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to meet. Now, the apostle is going to bring out from verses 7 to verse 10, four particular sins. And what you notice about these sins is that they are all to the gratification of the flesh. 
they are all directed towards the craving of the flesh. What we want, what satisfies us, what satisfies the body, they have nothing to do with the interests of God, the things that are spiritual. So he brings out idolatry in verse number 7. He brings out fornication in verse number 8. He brings out um, tem uh, tempting Christ in verse number 9. And he brings out murmuring in Korah in verse 10. All these things were because people of Israel instead of being interested in the things of God that God wanted them for, that God had appointed Israel for, they instead pursued the things of the flesh and they were not interested in the things of the Lord. And in that sense, God had to step in and discipline them. And scripture tells us again in verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for and samples, again, is for an example or a testament. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the word come. What is he saying? These things, they are for us to take note and be careful. We should be careful. How do we know this? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. The word here that is used for fall is pipto. What does it mean? It means alighting. It means moving from a higher place to a lower place. It means demotion. And this is what this verse is about. God can step in if we depart and can disqualify us, can demote us for the purposes that he has for us. Why? Now, if you go back to the examples that we read, the four sins that the Apostle Paul brings up, he brings up incidences that are in the wilderness. Now, if you go back and read all those um, uh, passages that are that, that the apostle picks up um, idolatry in verse, in, in verse 7 it refers to the incident of Exodus chapter 32 you remember when Moses had been in, the, in Mount Sinai for a long time and the people decided look we don't know what has happened to this Moses you know what we know what Aaron make a calf for us and then we are going to worship right an idol they decided to make their own thing Right? That will satisfy us and say this is what took us out of Egypt. They were concocting their own God. Now, it is true that indeed, I don't know how I would have reacted if Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days and we don't know what happened. Right? But what this tells us is in all these incidents, incidences that are quoted, Israel found themselves in distress. In other instances, they were thirsty. In other instances, they were hungry. So in all those instances, it was a challenge.
challenge to them. They were in distress. Now what does this say to us? We will face distress in our lives as Christians. Because Christians are not free of trouble. But what this tells us is how do we as Christians respond when we are in those situations? Israel had a choice. They could respond in a one particular way and they could respond in another particular way. But so instead, they choose to respond in a way that is ungodly, that was satisfying to the flesh, to the expense of the things of God that are godly. So their response was basically to rebel against what God had ordained for them. Trust God. But they didn't. Instead, they craved for that which is physical. Instead of understanding that they have just been, they've just been through the sea, God had parted the sea for them to show his power, his faithfulness, and his ability to protect them beyond what man can do. But when they were faced with a distress in the wilderness, be it thirst, be it hunger, be it whatever circumstance is, their first instinct was carnality. Give us meat to eat. Oh, we would that we were in Egypt. They were remembering the things of bondage. We were better off with cucumbers and leeks and garlics in Egypt. They forgot that God had delivered them from those things. In their response, they basically denounced God and what God can do, his ability to help them. And scripture says, Therefore, in your dealings, be careful amongst yourselves. Because you can respond in this like manner, like Israel in the wilderness, and God will be displeased with you. God can demote you. And then verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. I can't tell you how many times this verse was, has been a comfort in my life. What this verse is telling us is, number one, Whatever you go through, dear sister and dear brother, here's a surprise for you. It's not unique to you. There are plenty, if books were to be revealed and opened upon us, we would realize that the things that we squirm and squeal about are actually nothing compared to what the saints of old have already gone through. Somebody has already gone through what you have gone through and they have passed with flying colors. Remember that. And it is good to know that before you are in the situation, dear saint, because when you are in the situation, your thinking becomes very narrowed because you will all focus about yourself. That's what Israel did. They all looked at themselves. All they could think of was, I want my belly filled right now. They forgot the pillar that was in front of them. But it is better to know this now, once things are okay, to say, 
whatever situation that you find yourself in no matter how dreadful no matter how awful there is a child of god a daughter of god or son of god somewhere who has already gone through it and they have passed with flying colors how did they pass it the same strength that was in them is the same strength that is in you But God is faithful. We think we're tough, don't we? We like to think ourselves as, as, as some tough people. I, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens. I've heard that. Now, I understand why people say those things. But as we will, we will, we will read later on, you are not as strong as you think you are. Actually, you are very weak. None of us is strong. If it wasn't for the Lord of Sabbath, we would all be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So when then scripture goes on to say, Dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. What do you think it means? Do you think it means you should tinker around on the edges? Do you think it means you should test it first and see if it works? Do you think it means you should research on it? Now, back to the context here. The, the saints at Corinth had a problem, a problem with idolatry. Let us remember that. They had a problem with idolatry. Now, we have our own problems here in England of our own. You have your own problems that are not necessarily a physical idol, idol that is made of a physical material. But what scripture here is telling us is flee, run. You cannot be faster than Hussein Bolt when it comes to sin. Run. Because you are not strong. The reason why is because you are not strong. The saints at Corinth, in their upbringing and their culture, they were very involved in idolatry. Idolatry was a very strong temptation to them. The solution for them is not to walk about in the sides of it or try and have a little bit of it. Remember, this is recalling back to chapter 8, which Andrew so eloquently uh, explained, explained to us. These saints were going back into the temples and eating before those idols, the food that was offered to the idols. Right? They were going back there, but they were putting themselves in danger because they are not as strong as they think they are. Those things would become a temptation to them. They risk a lot. And therefore, scripture says to them, Run. Flee. I don't know what your, your, your idol is. I don't know what your idol is. Is it TV? Is it the internet? Is it the books that you read? Is it the language that you use? I don't know. Eh. Eh. Unclean jokes. 
No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't use any offensive word. I didn't. I didn't use any four-letter word. It's just. It's just. It's, it's just a joke. It's just a laugh. It's just a laugh. Is it of good report? Is that something the Lord would be pleased with? Run. Don't take a chance. Run. I speak to wise men. Judge you what I say. He's saying these things need wisdom. Folks. This is not about do's and don'ts. We're not trying to tell people what to do and what not to do. That is not the point. You need wisdom with these things. Because there is gravity about them. They are very serious things that are at stake. Let us be wise in our dealings. Let us be wise. If God save you in a life of drunkenness, why would you go and witness in a pub? As commendable as that would be, why expose yourself in an environment that is like that, that the Lord saved you from? It's common wisdom. you got to be wise. We've got to be wise in our conduct because we don't want to be caught unawares in these things. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. What is he talking about? The apostle then goes to the breaking of bread. And he says, look, you are saints who practice this solemn and sacred exercise of partaking in bread and wine. These are the things of God. Right? You partake in them. You are fellowshipping with it. You are one of it. You are involved. You are in every sense of it part of it. You are part of this exercise that is to God. Great. It's fantastic. You are one with it. Let us take an example from Israel. No doubt he goes back to the peace offering as an example. He says, remember, when the peace offering was offered, there was something for the priest. There was something for God. There was something for the offerer. So everybody had a stake in it. Everybody part, partook of the sacrifice. So in that sense, they were having fellowship with that whole exercise. And we as partakers of the bread and wine, we are also having fellowship in every sense of it with all the things that are of God. And if we do so, why would you then want to go and partake of those things that are of the fellowship of idols. We're going to see that later on. What say I then? Now, the apostle is going to make an important point here. 
That idol, the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now, if the Apostle Paul is saying, right, do not eat that food that is offered to the idols, don't eat of it, does he mean that, therefore, these foods that are offered to the idols become materially different? Does it mean that the idols are real? Is he acknowledging that these idols are actually real? Is he? By him saying, do not partake of this food that is offered to the idols. Does it mean that these idols are real? Really? The answer here is, but, as, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. In other words, those idols are not real. Now, I don't know how many religions are in the world. Probably thousands. As far as scripture is concerned, there are only two religions. Now, I'm using the word religion loosely here. There is those that worship the true God. And everybody else worships the devil. Now, I'll say this very carefully, but as sincerely as I can. I can see here that people from Northern Ireland, I can see people who are Scottish, Africans, and we've got Indians in here. No matter what our backgrounds are, no matter how we have been brought up, any other religion that is not of the God of the Bible, you are worshipping the devil. You can name it, you can give it different names, and you can have different practices. But in the eyes of God, they are all to the devil. So all those idols, they're just nothing. All those tombs, all those statues that you are looking at, they're nothing. The Apostle Paul is saying, are they anything? No, they're not anything in of themselves. He's not acknowledging that these idols are real. They're not real. But the truth is, there is only one enemy here. It's the devil. not you should have fellowship with the devils. Demons. Really, that's what the, that word is. Have nothing to do with them. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, I will submit to you that here there is a difference between the Lord's supper and the Lord's table. What here is being spoken of is not necessarily this breaking of bread here. What here is talking about is, look, in the lives that you live, okay, there is a life that is within the rules that are of the Lord. In our everyday life, we live lives that are habitually godly. Okay? This, are, this is what the table, the Lord's table, is about. But also equally, we cannot be living lives that are habitually godly in the things of God. And then on the other hand, we live lives that are habitually of the demons. We cannot 
live one life in this way and then we come back and say we are godly people. Our lives have got to be separate. We cannot practice both of them. When we come here to break bread in the morning, the worship doesn't start here at 10.45. The worship started at 12.45 the week before. The moment you left this hall. Because what you do then, when nobody is looking at you, when there are no elders, when there are no sisters, when there are no brothers, is what you then bring to worship at the table. Maybe sometimes our worship services in the morning, they're so dry because we spent our lives elsewhere than at the table of the Lord during the whole week. Do we expect a blessing in the morning when we have spent the past week at the devil's table? When we were absorbed into the habits of this world? Do we expect a blessing in the morning? Do we expect the Lord to be pleased with us when we live like that? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? That's what scripture is asking. When we live like that, living double lives, are you really are you really sure you want to provoke the Lord? Are you sure? Because the Lord is a jealous God. He is jealous about us. And then he poses this question. It goes back to what we've already uh, talked about. Are we stronger than him? Let me, tell, let me tell you something. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the Lord. Now, we use this sometimes to refer to unsaved people. You know, talking of judgment, which is also true. But it is also true that it is a fearful thing for a child of God to fall into the hand of the Lord. Don't wait until God steps into your life to discipline you. It's not pleasant. I mean, when you image, you'll be refined gold. That is true. But do not wait until God has to step in to discipline you. God, my goodness, he can discipline. And it's not pretty. It's a pain that you do not have to subject yourself to. Obedience is what God, the Lord, is looking for. He wants us to be obedient. Sacrifices and all these things. No. He is looking for obedient men and women of God to do his will. We do that. The discipline that happened in the wilderness will not fall upon us. Scripture says their bodies were strewn. They were scattered in the wilderness. Because God had to step in for discipline. Folks, we don't live double lives, myself included. I'm rebuking myself here. We 
are of the Lord's and the Lord is ours. We belong to him. He owns us. Our allegiance is with him. What the world has to offer, the things that are out there, they are not ours. I pray that we will be the children of God that walk in obedience to the word of God. The next part is going to deal about some of these things that started in verse in chapter 8 about the realities of these sacrifices and things like that. But for now, may it be enough for us to say we will be obedient to the word of God. Let us pray. Our precious Lord and our good Savior, we thank you every time, Lord, we open scripture. We are always challenged in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you give us the strength to be faithful in discussing these things, to be faithful in explaining these things. Even though, O oh Lord, our flesh might rebel against these things. But teach us, Lord, to know the truth so that we would live lives that are honoring and to the glory of your name. We thank you, Lord, and therefore pray also, Lord, for this afternoon, for the gospel service, Lord, that, Lord, you bring many unsaved in and that, Lord, your word be preached again faithfully. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.